a home away from home, as a tourist will say. Tourism is the art and process of spending time away from home in pursuit of recreation, relaxation and pleasure, while making use of commercial provision of services. The capital of Ghana is a beauty to behold. Look past the filthy drains and littered streets and you will find amazing places to explore and experience the vibrant community of Accra. This is Jamvopa Landmark Podcast. We are tourism and landmark explorers based in Ghana and we will be telling you a bit about our country. We are going to stimulate your appetite by giving you vivid details about some landmarks in Ghana where you would love to visit on your next tour to Ghana. Talking about the Jamestown Lighthouse, the Osha Falls, the Accra International Conference Center, the Ghana Airport, the Independence Square, the Osu Castle, not forgetting the Kwame Nkrumah Mausoleum. We will present our country to you like never before. So walk with us along the way as we educate and entertain you. Brief history of the lighthouse in Jamestown. Jamestown is a community in the greater Accra region of Ghana. It is believed to be inhabited by typical Ghana nationals with fishing as their basic occupation. Jamestown is credited with having several landmarks since it was the preferred dwelling place for the Dutch, Danes and the British in the colonial era. One of such unique landmarks is the red and white horizontal bands lighthouse monument which stands 92 feet above sea level. It is strategically positioned in the heart of the city and finds itself in between the popular Manchiaguena Palace that houses the paramount chief of English Alata, the Bank of Ghana, which is considered as the mother of all banks in Ghana, the Geographic Studio, the Ghana Post Office, the James Ford, and the Osher Fords, among other popular and important edifices of the state. The lighthouse is known to have been built in the 1930s. To replace an original one built by the British in 1871. It consists of a stone tower, lantern, and a gallery attached to a keeper's house. With its 16 nautical mile visibility, the lighthouse was purposely used as a traffic sign on the sea. It also played another major function of overlooking the entire harbor while it also gave the opportunity to see the James and Usher Falls, Jamestown and its neighboring surroundings from a bird's eye view. The lighthouse blinks out four white flashes separated by three seconds every 25 seconds. The lighthouse lost its primary function when the then governor for the Good Coast, Sir Garden Gadgetsbeck, channeled most of the trade routes to the Takradi to make way for a newly built harbor in the 1920s. It further collapsed and was made a white elephant 
when Ghana's first president, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, built and moved all harbor activities to Tema after he built the Tema Harbor in 1962. Even though this iconic and historical edifice is located in a town considered to be one of the poorest neighborhoods in Ghana, it still attracts scores of tourists from around the world visiting the sites on daily basis. The Jamestown and Osha Town that houses the lighthouse are the old districts in the city of Accra and hubs of historical sites in Ghana. These two towns emerged as communities around the 17th century before merging with Accra as the city grew. The community emerged due to the European slave trade that was very vibrant within the locality at the time and left an indelible trace of formidable edifice by the colonial masters. The lighthouse was formerly painted with a white and blue trim before it was repainted to its current red and white horizontal bands color. After visiting this monumental structure, a tourist stands the opportunity of climbing the top of the iconic lighthouse, then wander the perimeter of Fort James, a former prison built by the British in the 17th century, which until 2008 served as a prison for the Ghanaian society. In 2011, it was refurbished and repainted where a rotating powered where a rotating solar powered lighthouse was installed. Despite its closeness to the sea, the impressive lighthouse has been able to stand for 147 years and still appears to be in good condition even today. Welcome to another episode of the Landmark Podcast Show. I am Victoria Dadze and I'm going to take you through Osha Fort as one of Ghana's landmark. Did you know that in the 16th and 17th centuries, where colonial rule was introduced in Ghana, colonial masters visited Ghana and built castles and forts to house the colonies. These castles and forts were built and occupied at different times by traders and colonial masters from Portugal, Spain, Denmark, Sweden, Holland, Germany, and Britain, latterly developing slave trading. It is recorded that there are three castles and 32 forts in Ghana where these tradings took place, one of which is the Osha Fort. The Osha Fort is the Transatlantic Slave Trade Museum at the Osha Fort Prison in Accra. The Osha Fort was built by the Dutch in 1649 and given it a French name as Fort Crevocou in a day's march from Elmina to the east of Accra. It was built in the region during the middle of the 17th century and it is located on the high street about 500 meters past Fort James in the locality of Jamestown. Like other forts, 
Usher's fault was to encourage trading from Africa to European countries. The fort was used as slave depot and later used as prison. At the coast of the fort were railway lines that traveled to Abuase and other environs to transport gold, timber, and other minerals to the coast and to be transported to the European countries. The fort has 64 rooms, 32 above and 32 below. It also has in stock a collection of valuable personal effects of those who were involved in the slave trade. Come. It has the equipment used to chain the slaves as well as paintings and art crafts that depict the slave trade. Some of the things in the fort used by the slaves were drinking cups made of clay, huge grinding stones and there is also paintings of those red hinors trade. Slaves that were to be sent to other European countries were trained and taught hand-skilled jobs like sewing, carpentry, painting, and the rest. The slaves were kept in a room called the weak room. This was to discourage them from telling other fellows about the slave trading going on. Osha Fort was also known to have had the first police station in Ghana which was run by blacks or Ghanaians but under the supervision of the Dutch. Prisoners who were to face sentences for crimes were either hanged by the neck till death or electrocuted. The Osha Fort served as a prison until 1993. Our Kwame our very own Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, Ghana's first president and a forefigure in the struggle for independence was imprisoned there during the colonial era. The Osha Fort serves as important cultural heritage and its, and its potential role for local economic development. The reason for the fort and its conversion into a functional and sustainable museum is to raise awareness and educate young people on the preservation of the cultural heritage. It also offers an additional opportunity to supporting educative for cultural heritage for the general public and Ghanaian school children. With all this historical background of the Osha Fort, it serves as a tourist attraction which improves tourism in Ghana and the economic growth in the country. That is the end of the episode and please stay tuned for other episodes. Once again, my name is Victoria Dadze. The Accra International Conference Center, popularly referred to as AICC, is arguably the most popular event hosting center in Ghana, as well as one of the most beautiful landmarks in the country, notable for hosting almost all the major events in Ghana. The Accra International Conference Center is located in the Christianburg district in Accra and direct opposite the Parliament House of Ghana and also close to a number of important locations in the country such as the Accra Sports Stadium, the Independence Arc, the Black Star Square, Osu Castle, 
and Artist Alliance Gallery. The conference center in Ghana's capital with ready access to Kutuka International Airport and first-class hotels such as Kempinski Hotel, Moving Peak Hotel and Accra City Hotel. The multi-purpose conference center has a 6,000 per person capacity of six conference hall. The main seats 1,600 people. There are also two committee halls accommodating 205 persons each and three meeting halls, each accommodating approximately 50 delegates. In addition, a press center keeps delegates in touch both for transmission of conference news and reception of information. Thus, plus audio facilities for simultaneous translation in five languages. The Accra International Conference Center was built in 1999 under the presidency of former President Jerry John Rawlings to host the historic 10th ministerial meeting of the non-allied movement. Since then, it has gone on to host other major events and conference such as summits by the United Nations, African Union, and ECOWAS, while it has also become the ideal place for hosting entertainment events in the capital. Even though it was built in the 90s, the Accra International Conference Center is one of the most modern centers in West Africa boasting of modern transmission technology, a press gallery, and other facilities that make it media and technology friendly. Also, the conference center with its serene atmosphere, beautiful environment, as well as lovely painting, good furniture, and beautiful design make it comfortable to host all sorts of events. Because of the center's beautiful architecture and history, it attracts a lot of tourists. In recent years, the center has been under immense pressure from event organizers as the population growth is gradually rendering the 6,000 capacity venue inadequate to meet market demand. This has resulted in the putting up of a dome-like structure at the car park to the conference center to make up for demand for larger capacity. While there have been no talks of expansion, the constant demand for a larger venue like the Trade Fair Dome could persuade the government to make some renovation and add more capacity to the Accra International Conference Center in the near future. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tourism Landmark. My name is Rosalind. In this episode, we will take a look at the Kotoka International Airport. Did you know the airport was initially called the Accra International Airport? It was later renamed Kotoka International Airport. 
in memory of the late Lieutenant General Emmanuel Kofi Kotoka. As the only international airport in the country, Kotoka had only two terminals until the last quarter of 2010. A new terminal was constructed in 2018, and this is the biggest multifunctioning terminal in Accra, popularly known as the Terminal 3. I have with me here an aviation expert who is going to enlighten us more. Uh, my name is Erika G, with um, over 25 years working in the aviation sector. Do you think the airport has impacted on tourism in Ghana? I would say yes, because this has been the only entry point into the country. Traveling by sea is not a well-known of the Western Africa. And we have the sea on the south, we have three African countries on the north, east and west. But those African countries don't travel in here for tourism. So Kutuka alone has had the capacity to at least bring in 90% of the tourists. And Kutuka being the gateway to West Africa has had its share of the tourism center. If you look at our records, all tourism coming from around the globe might have to travel by air. And Kutuka being the only international airport until 2010, there about when Masi was designated as an international airport, though up to now not doing business internationally from abroad. Kutuka has certainly been the only, I would say the only access by air transport to bring in tourism, commercial business, and whatever um, you might think of as um, international relationship with other countries. Do you have any other thoughts on how the airports can improve the tourism? Yes, our airport is generally one of the expensive airport when it comes to taxes. So to really improve upon the tourism sector, the authorities might have to look at our taxation system. They might have to look at the facilities there and the cost of doing business here. What actually happened in international airports, there are places that you can have a touchdown and pick and go. But we also have the only place around the world or I would say around the globe where whether you are just picking or doing anything at the airport you might have to even pack and pay for airport facilities like parking spaces which is also another expensive thing to be done so for the airport to help improve our tourism sector our authorities might have to look at reducing taxes I mean, taxes on airfare, um, auxiliary services as in car park, uh, restaurants, and all the other things that uh, make an airport attractive in terms of regional cooperation. And so to attract more tourism, cost has to be considered as a factor. That's very insightful. Is there any last words you'd like to leave? Um, what I would say is Ghana has got all that it takes 
to receive tourism as um, as in other countries like Kenya. So I believe in cooperation with the state authorities, the tourism industry can boost. We might have to package what we have as a natural resource because everywhere in Ghana, every region, I might even go back to go down to say every district has got something to showcase us in what we are having in Cape Coast and Mina and the Kakum area. So Ghana has the potential if we will package our tourism sites very well. Okay. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope to have you back another time. Okay. Thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. That is it for this episode on Tourism Landmarks. I hope you were educated, you were informed, and you were entertained. Catch you in the next episode. Hello, welcome to this episode on Landmarks. In the Black Star Square, also known as the Independence Square, will be my topic for discussion on this episode. My name is Ochobia C. Agbo. The Blaster Square or the Independent Square is a public square in Accra, Ghana, bordered by the Accra Sports Stadium and the Kwame Nkrumah Memorial Park. The square often hosts the annual independence celebrations as well as other national events. It is currently the site for all civic and military parades in Ghana. The square has stands that can seat 3,000 people. The Blaster Square can also boast of three monuments which envelope the fights for independence and liberation. This includes the Independence Arc, the Liberation Day Monument and the Blaster Monument, also known as the Blaster Gate. There is also a statue of a soldier facing the Independence Arc which symbolizes the Ghanaians who lost their lives fighting for Ghana's independence. The Blaster Square was completed in the year 1961, which coincided with the visit of Queen Elizabeth II state visit to Accra, Ghana. So she commissioned the Independence Square in the year 1961. The Blaster Gate is the part of the Independence Square complex where you can climb up to the top of the gate and take pictures of the beautiful surrounding area anytime you visit Ghana and it is free to every visitor who patronize the Independence Square. Hi guys, welcome to the first episode of Castles and Fort with me, Wehelmina. And guys, today I have a guest here with me who will be sharing her views and thoughts on today's discussion and her name is Tamara. So I will shortly brief you guys on what we will be discussing today. So Ghana was mainly colonized by the British, the Dutch and the Portuguese and these people built these castles and forts to safeguard their trading posts. So we have castles like the Elmina Castle the Cape Coast Castle and the Christian Castle 
So for today, we'll be discussing about the Christenburg Castle. Let's get started. The Christenburg Castle, popularly known as Osu Castle, was built in 1661 by the Danes as a lodge used mostly for the storage of goods. The castle is a 17th-century castle located on the shores of the vibrant township of Osu in Ghana's capital, Accra. Tamara, what do you have for us? Okay, thank you very much. The Christianburg Castle is also unique among the castles and forts. As most of the castle's history, it has been the seat of government in Ghana, with some interferences until the seat of government was moved to the Jubilee House, popularly known as the Flagstaff House. Wow, interesting. Guys, this castle entails a lot of interesting stuff. But then, we have a lot to share with you guys. So let's continue. Did you also know that the area was first occupied in 1550 by the Portuguese? Though in the 17th century, Portuguese influenced the Manish. The area came under the control of Sweden in the 1615s, led by the Dutch trader Hendrik Karl Lof. In 1652, he was given permission to build a small fortified lodge by the king of Accra, with whom he had previously done business with. In 1660, control passed to the Netherlands, but it was soon lost to the Denmark-Norway. In 1657, Karloff had gained travel to Africa, this time representing the Denmark-Norway. He aimed to conquer the fort he had previously established, which he found easy at Usu. So Tamara, do you have anything more to tell us? Sure, most definitely. The present castle is made up of various extensions to the original and is thus an, in an octodos shape. It has many facilities for the use of employees, including clinics, cafes, shopping centers, and a post office. It also still has accommodation for permanent garrisons. The extension garden featured is a widely variety of plants, both local and imported, employs 30 people. It was used as the presidential outdoor reception and parties. The Osu Castle is now open to the general public and people from all walks of life can come and see the site. Mm, interesting right guys i remember the first time i visited this castle it was so so interesting the to- there were a lot of people around so the tour guide couldn't really talk to us about a lot of things but then also there is this aspect about the castle that i still want to share with you people it has to do with the danish so guys the danish rule was once again challenged and deposed 10 years later that was 10 years after the castle was built by a powerful trader and chief Asemeni and his men from the inland state of Akwamu. Asemeni had previously had previously infiltrated the Dutch household by working as a cook. So guys, I think this is where we'll end. Tamara, it was nice having your intake on one of the historical castles in Ghana. Thank you for having me. So guys, we'll end here today. Bye.
This episode talks about another important landmark in Ghana, which is the Kwame Nkrumah Mausoleum. Ghana's first president, Osajifu Dr. Kwame Nkrumah and his colleagues stood at the old polo grounds in Accra on the eve of Ghana's political independence to declare the country's freedom from British colonial rule. Together with comrades Kojubocho, Komuna Agbeligbedema, Aki Kosli Hayford and Krobo Edusei, all clad in their northern smocks and hats, emotional and before a huge crowd which had traveled from the entire country to witness the memorable occasion, Nkrumah said, Ghana is free forever. Indeed, when the representatives of Queen Elizabeth and Lord Listowell, the then Governor General, Kwame Nkrumah and others gathered in the old Parliament House to formally mark the country's independence, the old polo grounds accommodated a huge crowd of people who had gathered in Accra to participate in the historic activity. Today, the place is known as Kwame Nkrumah's Mausoleum and has become a tourist destination for Ghanaians and those in the diaspora. Located in downtown Accra, Ghana, is the Kwame Nkrumah Memorial Park and Mausoleum. The Mausoleum is the final resting place of Ghana's first president and Africanist. The museum, located inside the park, hosts real artifacts relating to Ghana's independence and tours at the park gives visitors in-depth history of the sub-Saharan struggle for independence. The mausoleum, designed by Don Arthur, houses the mortal remains of Dr. Kwame Nkrumah and his wife, Fathia Nkrumah. It is meant to represent an upside-down sword which in the Akan culture is a symbol of peace. The mausoleum is clad from top to bottom with Italian marble with a black star at its apex to symbolize unity. The interior of the mausoleum boasts marble flooring and a mini mastaba looking marble grave marker surrounded by river washed rocks. A skylight at the top in the mausoleum illuminates the grave and at the right time seems to reflect of the marble, further emphasizing that beauty many have come to fall in love with. The mausoleum is surrounded by water which is a symbol of life. Its presence conveys a sense of immortality for the name Enchroma. It shows that even in death he lives on in the hearts and minds of generations here and generations yet to come. The entrance to the site is from the 28th February High Street just along the coast from Independence Square. It is located directly opposite the old Parliament House now known as the Commission for Human Rights and Administrative Justice Shrage. It has a total surface area of approximately 5.3 acres. The mausoleum provides a front for the state of Nkrumah whereas the museum is subterranean and does not compete with the mausoleum for attention. Rhythm, contrast and harmony were the main principles of design used in this building. The idea of erecting a monument in honor of Kwame Nkrumah dates back to 1972 when the African Students' Union sent a memorandum asking the government of Guinea, then under President Sekou Touré, to send the mortal remains of the Ghanaian leader to Ghana only if the military leaders at that time denounced coup d'etat and re-erected the statue of Nkrumah, which was destroyed during the 1966 coup. 
Although the remains were later returned to Nkofo, his birthplace, it was not until 1992 that the image of Nkrumah was restored on the old polo grounds during which the Estwell Provisional National Defense Council PNDC decided to build the Kwame Nkrumah Mausoleum. The mausoleum is located to the west of the Ghana Arts Center and the offices of the Accra Metropolitan Assembly. The park itself is an attractive masterpiece with futuristic creation. There are two springs of water on either side of the pavement or walkway. It has seven bare chests, squatting statuette flute blowers, and literally blowing springs out. In Ghanaian culture, flutes are blown to welcome very important dignitaries and on special occasions. Therefore, by symbolism, it can be concluded that all visitors to the park are seen as very important people and there are no second-class citizens of Ghana and for that matter, Africa. share this podcast on any podcast app. Bye!